0: 4pm, near enough, plus of course the YouTube encoding latency of about 20 seconds. Thanks very much for joining me. It's Monday the 17th of October. Got a bit of news to share with you today, coming to you live from the palatial fat cave deep beneath stately Chateau Shitsville. And if you're not familiar with who the hell I am, I'm John Cadogan, the nation's most despised automotive investigative shit stirrer. How's that for a title? beats journalist, I think you'd agree. And I'm very pleased to tell you that the unicorn has landed, 200 of them, in fact, in nine days' time, slightly more than 200. They're a bit non-specific as to the actual number, but this is the model year 23 Hyundai IONIQ 5 EV. I've got full details here. And if you check the description for this live stream, you will note a download link where you can download a PDF version of the entire press kit. There's a really exciting flagship in this range too, which has got some pretty clever features and it really is quite high tech. Anyway, I've just spent a week driving a model year 22 Ionic 5 and... I crawled all over that car when it first got out of the blocks, but I have not yet driven it until a week ago, and they're going to need the jaws of life to get me out of it, basically, because although I find the exterior a bit quirky, and you look at it from afar, and it says sort of small hatch, and you walk up to it, and you go, sake, dude. This wheelbase is longer than a Land Cruiser kind of thing. It, it really is disconcerting when you get up close because it's so big, but the proportions are more compact hatch-like, you know? Anyway, we can talk about that, but I also wanted to let you know before we get into this proper that there's another event that's going to happen at midday tomorrow, and you want to have your radar tuned for that because it could have far-reaching implications. See, I got an alert by uh, from MediaNet just a few hours ago and i'll just read it to you it's pretty self-explanatory super scale toyota diesel defeat device class action to launch this is from madden's lawyers right there's a media conference that's going to happen tomorrow at midday it's going to happen in melbourne at the crown plaza And uh, basically, Brendan Prendergast, who's a lawyer type from Madden's Lawyers, is going to be there. He's the special counsel at Madden's Lawyers, and they're going to launch this class action in the Supreme Court of Victoria on behalf of up to half a million owners of diesel-powered Toyota vehicles. That's going to happen tomorrow at midday. Of course, the Newsies might follow up on that, but of course, they're going to have to be fairly circumspect on what they say, because... Toyota's such a big advertiser and you know <laughs> reporting it reporting it too much one way could be a defeat device all of its own in the media domain couldn't it it could defeat further advertising from Toyota is kind of what I'm saying. But you want to look uh, for news tomorrow in relation to the Madden's lawyers defeat device class action relating to Toyota diesels. I don't know any other detail about that right now. I don't know if it's a a 200 series thing or whether it's more likely to be the 2.8 diesel in Fortuna and Hilux and of course Prada and I don't know of any other context for the term defeat device other than emissions cheating. So it'll be interesting to see what falls out there and exactly what grounds they've got to launch this class action, but half a million. This is on top, of course, of the uh, misleading and whatever conduct that that the federal court found Toyota was guilty of in relation to the defective DPFs. I think this is a completely different issue, but it doesn't seem to be a particularly good time for Toyota in respect of its diesels. And hilariously enough, of course, their sales and marketing boss came out in a highly unscripted way recently at a press event and basically declared that carbon was the enemy And we have to get to carbon neutrality, to which I'd retort, well, which part of the friggin' solution, dude, is all of those diesels, including the upcoming V6 diesel, obviously designed to take on the Ranger in 2024, provided, of course, they can get their act together in that kind of time frame. That should be good for a letter from a lawyer. Anywho, let's get back to the Ionic 5, model year 23, and... They've got their supply chain sort of constraints as well, haven't they? They, they've been selling the Ionic Five online. That will continue, and they're selling them kind of like a limited edition batch of Nike Air Jordans or something in drops. And the next batch, they say here, drop of Ionic Fives will be available to order online from the twenty sixth of October at one pm Australian Eastern Daylight Saving Time. So. Eight sleeps, is it? Whatever, nine sleeps, something. You can do the sleep maths. It's eight or nine. It's like next Wednesday. There'll be over 200 cars. So I get the feeling like if over 200 was like 2,000 cars, they'd manage to sell them next Wednesday because, you know, there's just demand has just outstripped supply and the supply chain thing is just insane at the moment. I mean, we had someone uh, sign up for. I forget what it was, it was some Toyota, and the delivery date is like April 2024, and he was happy to sign and pay a deposit and do all of that stuff and just get in the queue and deafening silence for the best part of 18 months and hopefully a car will materialise after that. I'd really like to see this whole supply chain thing just evaporate the way much of the uh, pandemic and its aftershocks have evaporated now. I'd love to know what you think in the chat. Speaking of which, in the chat, I will try to get to as many of your messages as possible. Do not forget, if you've only just joined, there is a download link to the PDF version of the full press kit to do with model year 23 Ionic 5. You can just click and download, dude, and it'll be in the description for this live stream and subsequently in the post uh, play version as well so all the vehicle oh they go on to say that it's across all states and territories except the northern territory so take that Territorians I don't know how you feel about that it's all sort of Toyotas and blue singlets and swearing up there anyway not not too many places you drive in an EV I suppose you could do a day trip to Litchfield but I wonder how well Kakadu is actually served by rechargers and things of that nature. Probably not very well. Although I I stand to be corrected there, if you're a Territorian and you know that crap, let me know in the chat, won't you? It's always nice to see so many people taking part in the chat as well. Thank you. I think we've got 400 people in the total view count now and you know, that's pretty gratifying because sitting here in your garage talking to yourself, that's the alternative, isn't it really? All the vehicles in this drop are going to be 2023 IONIQ 5s, and we'll get into the detail of that. There's going to be a mixture of the dynamic ones. Dynamic is a model variant, ending in a Q, and Technic, also ending in a Q, and Epic. They're not, the Epic is the flagship of the range. It also ends in a Q, but... There are no epics in this, and the epic is the one that I find really interesting. I would like to have a stern little chat to the person who decided that everything to do with this vehicle has to end in a queue. I mean, less is more, dude. There are words, ionic, dynamic, technic, epic. You could end them in a C and not lose anything, just saying that is a bit of a step too far. But anyway... The best thing about press kits, of course, the bullet points for the short attention span journalist. Yes. Let us run through them now, shall we? The headline, 2023 Ionic 5, more power, increased range for flagship EV translation. I think they got the slightly upgraded battery out of EV6, the Kia EV6. And jammed it into the Ionic 5. I mean they run on the same platform. Hyundai and Kia are both parts of HMG, the Hyundai Motor Group, so I think it's that. I could stand to be corrected on that too, but reading in between the lines, it's kind of how it reads. 2023 Ionic 5 will arrive in a three-model lineup, including a new flagship, Epic, with a Q eh, grade. Epic eh, debuts digital side mirrors, a high-efficiency heat pump system and battery conditioning. So that's kind of interesting. The heat pump thing I find really interesting because you know in a combustion car you've got like heat to burn, right? Literally there is so much waste heat, like 50%, is it 50%? I forget. Anyway, in terms of the waste energy about, I think you get about 20% at the crank, let's call it 25 at the crank. And then there's about 10 or 12% loss to friction and pumping losses and things like that. So if we call that 40 all up, there's another 60 to go. So all of that 60 is kind of waste heat. And half of it comes through the radiator, and the other half is just convected away, right, through exhaust pipe, out the exhaust pipe, and through convective losses elsewhere, just bleeding heat out into the air, right? So you've got literally heat to burn. Like, you want to warm up a small town in the Swiss Alps or something in the middle of winter. Just start a car, dude. No problem. But in an EV, everything needs heating, especially when it's all sort of minus 50 degrees outside or something. And heating is such an energy intensive process. And this is a real problem with EVs. And this high efficiency heat pump thing is therefore a big deal in the top spec Epic, which is not going to drop next week. Okay? Just for complete disambiguation, if you jump in the queue and blow your load next week, you will not get the flagship. You'll get one of the other two, and they're pretty nice to drive, but I'd really want the flagship, you know, because it's got some cool shit. Anywho, they go on, they say all models receive this bigger 77.4 kilowatt hour battery, which is friggin huge when you think about it, but it's a big jigger, so it needs that. And the driving range is increased, both the rear wheel drive and the all wheel drive powertrains now deliver more power, extended two year 30,000 kilometre service intervals, whichever comes first. Revised ride and handling package as well. I'd be interested to know the detail on that down the track, whether they actually did local tuning or what. Uh, 2023 IONIQ 5 range arriving in October, priced from 72 grand, just 72,000. It's triviality, isn't it? Hyundai's flagship electric vehicle has received a major update that improves all areas of the EV experience, they say, with the 2023 IONIQ 5 set to deliver more power, more driving range, and a new model grade. We'll just flick over to the detail on that in terms of the range, shall we? Because they've got a helpful graphic in the press kit here. PDF description in the uh, download link in the description right if you want to download the PDF and pour over the specifics and have a little 15 year old wet dream over the car that you have been fantasizing about buying but like that supermodel is just unattainable dude download link you're welcome okay the old battery 72.6 the new battery 77.4 just shy of five kilowatt hours, which is a sizable chunk of battery. And uh, what does that make it, about 6%, something like that, worth of battery upgrade. Uh, the rear-wheel drive in the old one was 160 kilowatts. In the new one, it's 168. In the all-wheel drive variants, you get 70 kilowatts plus 155 in, in the old one. And in the new one, you get 74 and 165, so they're incremental increases, but you'd feel it, okay? And the range, according to the WLTP, is uh, 481 for the outgoing model, 507 for the new one coming next week, 430 kilometers for the dual motor version, 454 worth of the upgrade. So the old one, 430, the new one, 454. Once again, incremental upgrades, but seeing as range is such a big sort of hot-button item with EVs, any increase is a good thing, and I'm pretty confident you'd drive to Canberra in the dual-motor one. you know, probably have to not play drive it like you stole it, you know, but you'd get to Canberra no problem, provided you started with a full tank of electrons in Sydney, and with the two-wheel drive one, you would shit it in. You just would. Okay, let us go back and do this more or less in order. And I have to say I've been driving the model year 22 Ionic 5 and it is a really impressive thing to drive. It's got enough quirk about it so that it's it's not trying to be a combustion car, you know, like it is distinctly different. Got a bit of Game Boy, a bit of Nintendo about it and the styling's so subjective anyway. Either you like it or you hate it. My missus hates it, I don't mind it. The interior is really clever, though, because regardless of what you think about it subjectively, which is like chocolate or strawberry, blondes, brunettes, you know, correct answers, chocolate and blonde, obviously, but... Regardless of what you think about how it looks subjectively, it's a very clever exercise in what I'd call design liberation because there are all these constraints that you are kind of friggin' stuck with with a combustion car. Like if you put a diff down the back, you've got to get a shaft from the gearbox to the diff, and it needs a tunnel. And hey, if you're going to build a tunnel, you might as well use it to strengthen the body. Well, this baby, flat floor dude, Very interesting, okay? And obviously, bespoke platform as well, right? And the advantage of bespoke platform is you don't get that modal separation thing that combustion platform-derived EVs suffer from, right? So just to lay that out for you, like Engineering 101, you've got these two things. You've got the centre of mass of a car, and you've got the roll centre. I'll just get a prop. Okay, so you can think about it like this. You can think about the roll centre like a pivot point down here that the body rolls. Like when you go around a left-hand bend, the body's going to roll to the right like that, you know. And this is just an inertial force reaching in like this and pivoting about the roll centre and through the mass centre. Okay, like this is really simple. This is as simple as engineering gets. This is like Newton's second law and Delenbert's principle and all that shit that they try and (coughs) blood from the ears at uni. But it just means there's an inertial force that pushes this way, you know, and the body rolls. Okay, mass center, roll center. That's how this works. When you rip out the engine, okay, it's a bit of mass that's comparatively high up. You put in a battery, which is a lot of mass that's really low. You drop the center of mass, but the roll center stays the same and it's hard to change. So when you jo- when you get into a corner and do the same thing, it's like having a smaller spanner, but with the same kind of lateral effort. So you get less torque, so you don't get as much body roll and it, the whole thing appears to be stiffer in roll. But at the same time, because it's heavier overall, when you get these bumpy movements, like floating movements over a crest or into a dip and things of that nature, then the springs really have a hard time coping with that so because you've got the same components doing control in roll and in bouncy mode, right? And this is a big problem with platforms that are derived from combustion cars because you can't change the roll centre no matter how much you want to. And this it's called modal separation, right? Because you've got these two modes. You've got bouncy mode and rolly mode and the components are not ideal, they're they're not optimized for control, so you either get decent roll performance with too floppy in bounce, or you get sort of Goldilocks uh, vertical performance, and then you get way too stiff in roll, okay? But Ionic 5 doesn't suffer from that because they've got a platform that was designed from the ground up for an EV and only for an EV. And that means they could put the roll center wherever they wanted to and eliminate this separation of modes from a control architecture point of view, which is absolutely brilliant. And it feels really good to tip in. Like it's a big, heavy thing. If you tip it in really hard and really late, the mass can kind of catch up on you. But if you're just driving at eight or nine, right, public road eight or nine, so not balls to the wall, it's really satisfying. It just feels good. And the drivetrain experience is kind of seamless as well, which is really nice. This is like you can take the virtue part of EVs and you can park the virtue part and just look at the car in isolation. And there are cars that you love from a dynamic, point of view like I've loved every BMW M car I've ever driven particularly M3s right they are just the best but they always mock you they always look back at you and say is that all you got kind of thing Ionic 5 is kind of that for me in electric land it's really good to drive in that way and you can talk about the virtue and the charging infrastructure and the fact that it's so big and heavy and therefore so resource intensive and has a great deal of CO2 embodied in its construction, if you want to go down the Enviro virtue road, but if you just want to evaluate it like a dynamic thing, you go, yeah, I'm liking that. Pro tip, you never have to stop at a servo and be offered two Kit KitKats for the price of one. So. There's that, the new one's better, that's gotta be a good thing. Let's get back into the information. So, uh, 2023, the Hyundai Ionic 5 range begins with the dynamic with the Q, eh, now equipped with a bigger battery, delivering over 500 k's of range. This is a bit of a dichotomy, right? So if you want the big range one, you've got to go with the two-wheel drive because obviously it's the lightest one. If you go with the one with the motor on the front as well, you're gonna cop a hit and it's a significant hit in range. Okay, they go on and they say the dynamic is powered by a single permanent magnet, synchronous motor driving the rear wheels, delivering an improved 168 kilowatts and 350 newton metres up from 160 as detailed, unlocking even more electrifying performance. See, this is what qualifies as clever in PR, electrifying performance. On demand, I'm glad it's not sort of just randomly delivered. On demand's always good, isn't it? And effortless drivability in day-to-day scenarios, it is. It is pretty good to drive, Ionic 5. I'm driving the two motor one, it's pretty good. Both Ionic 5 Technic and flagship Ionic Epic are equipped with an exhilarating twin motor powertrain with improved outputs from the front and rear electric motors as well as the bigger battery. So, performance enhancements and 0 to 100 in 5.1, which for something that tips the scales around the sort of two ton ballpark pretty quick. Imagine driving a Land Cruiser that did that. Now, the uh, chief executive officer in Australia at HMCA, a dude named Ted Lee, says his name's probably not Ted. They all do that. They anglicise their Christian names. He says, these important updates make zero emission motoring with Hyundai even more appealing with the 2023 Ionic. Five, delivering improvements in all areas our customers already love about EVs. Yeah, okay. It would be just nice if you could supply a few more, dude. He goes on and says from a flagship model to improve range and power right across the lineup, this is a comprehensive update that improves the Ionic formula in every way. The Ionic 5 is Hyundai Australia's flagship electric vehicle, and we are proud to introduce an updated model that further cements that legacy. Much of a legacy can you have when the car's only been here for like in the pandemic to now the range okay so the range is like this the two-wheel drive long range version 72 grand okay single motor the technique has the two motors so you get the better straight line performance but the lower Range, and it's seventy nine five. So this is manufacturer's list price. So plus 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 for the on road costs. Okay, so that's seven and a half grand for the extra motor at the front, basically. Okay, and then if you want to step up to the Epic Core, then that's eighty five thousand bucks, which is five and a half thousand dollars on top. Okay, so that seems like a reasonable set of steps, going from seventy-two to eighty-five, roughly in the middle. If you want, you know. So, that's not bad from a from a lineup point of view. And eighty-five gram. We'll get into what the Epic has in it now. Okay, the top tier Epic has uh, what they call the ultimate example of Hyundai's flagship electric vehicle, building on the generous specifications of the technique. The Epic introduces key high-tech features most of which are uh, making their day that they did get it right their debut in the ionic 5 range you try sitting here and reading this stuff out right digital side mirrors is one of the highlights the epic is the first hyundai equipped with digital side mirrors imagine the cost when someone rips one of them off some food delivery guy right just rips one of them off on his moped. Can you imagine the cost of a digital side mirror? Anyway, revolutionizing the drive experience and improving safety and visibility, the side cameras pair with two dedicated OLED displays in the cabin, projecting crystal clear views of either side of the Ionic 5. Well, you can't be bitching about blind spots now, can you? Dude. New technology improves driver vision in all conditions, providing glare-free visibility in darker conditions and adverse weather, and augmenting helpful assistance guidelines for lane changes and reversing maneuvers. Little bit of big brother, so it'll be interesting to see how that is integrated from an actual hands-on driving point of view. Sounds good in the press release, certainly. There's also an increased field of view which reduces blind spots. Pro tip, blind spots don't exist if you just adjust the mirrors properly. Everyone statistically drives around with their wing mirrors too far in. Just pump them out a bit more, dude. Say goodbye to blind spots forever. When compared to conventional side mirrors, while the sleek side cameras also reduce aerodynamic drag. So there's that. I, I did not know you could do that without running afoul of ADRs. So there you go. Learned something in a press release. And I said it would never happen. High efficiency heat pump heater. Now this is just the EPIC grade, okay? EPIC with a Q. High efficiency heat pump system provides the cabin heating further increasing efficiency when compared to a conventional electric heating system. The beauty of heat pumps is you've got a certain amount of energy to drive the pump and you get more than one-for-one return on investment, basically. It's like uh, an inverter air conditioner with a heat pump, right? It can be 500 watts or something worth of air conditioner in your transparent aluminium chitoire at Dingo Piss Creek, but you actually get more than 500 watts of cooling because of the high-tech miracle of the refrigeration cycle, right? And this is reverse refrigeration cycle, obviously. So... Uh, reverse cycle air conditioning system essentially battery conditioning as well the the, I- the ionic five epic introduces a battery conditioning system which can activate in cold climate conditions to heat the battery for improved DC charging and driving performance. This system can also preheat the battery in preparation for the fastest, most efficient charging when a DC charger is selected as the navigation destination. So that's a pretty clever piece of integration there as well. There's a vision roof. They say once a cost option, the Epic is equipped as standard with the vision roof. It's a fixed glass roof, so not an open-closy sort of sunroof. It's a fixed glass roof, uh, allowing light to flood the cabin because there's one thing you need on your dome in Australia, isn't it? More photons, (laughs) but it's also equipped with an electric sun blind, putting the vehicle's occupants in complete control. (laughs) Yes, nothing I like more Mm. than complete control. Refined ride and handling, new ride and handling package, perfectly tailored to the powertrain and the larger battery. The key focuses were wheel control, bump absorption, body control, and the result is a vehicle that (laughs) perfect. blends ride comfort with engaging dynamics, no matter the road or road surface. There's also different drive modes that you can select in the IONIQ 5, right? So if you want it a bit sort of laid back, you can have that. And if you want it, you know, a bit more edgy, just, you know, twirl, dude. Uh, drive, train and battery, the bigger batteries, up from 72.6 to 77.4. Uh, also increased cell count, right, that delivers a higher voltage of 697 volts, that's up from 653. The result is an improved driving range no matter the Ionic 5 model. The Dynamic delivers 507, that's WLTP, um, up from 481, while the Technic and Epic delivers uh, 454 up from 430. So incremental improvements, but worthwhile nonetheless, right? More power, more performance, they say. We went through that earlier. The headline there is the rear drive models, 168 and 350, up from 160 kilowatts, while the all-wheel drive models deliver 239 and 605 newton metres. That's a lot of torque, 605 newton metres. That's like diesel Land Cruiser kind of torque, isn't it? 239 up from 225, so you probably feel it just, not that you'll drive the two back to back, like it goes well. It goes better than most owners will ever require it to do and better than anything that weighs two tons probably should go, you know, if the world were prudent given the level of ambient driver training out there on the roads. Anyway, in terms of the charging, which is also one of these things that means something to a lot of people, It supports 400 volts and 800 volt charging infrastructure, which unlocks super fast DC charging, if you can find a charger that powerful, right? If you can find a 350 kilowatt ultra fast charger, it will accrue from 10% on the battery to 80% in as little as 18 minutes, which is... Still long enough to jam in a coffee and a burger, sort of halfway to wherever wherever B is, right? But that's pretty quick. But if you use a 50 kilowatt charger, which is far more likely to be looking staring you in the grill out there in the regions in Australia with our fantastic EV charging infrastructure that 10 to 80% reboot is going to take 73 minutes, which is a ticket on the express to atherosclerosis city, isn't it? Given the options, you know, down there adjacent to the Supermax in Goulburn or something. Anyway, plugged in at home, if you've got single phase seven kilowatts AC charging, it'll go from 10 to 100% in 11 hours and 45 minutes which they say is perfect for plugging in overnight. And I'm just inferring this because it's not in the press kit, but if you've got 11 kilowatts and three phase, that'll probably shave about a third off that. So you probably do that in about eight hours, I suppose. I'm pretty sure it does support uh, three phase, 11 kilowatts AC charging, certainly the EV6 does. So it's on that uh, EGMP platform. And the other thing here is extended EV service intervals, which are two years and 30,000 kilometres, which is a long time between drinks in servicing, isn't it? Check your tyre pressures, dude, like once a week. If it's going to be two years between now and service department you might also want to just have a little look at the sidewalls and make sure they haven't been damaged and take a little look at the tread face because it rolls on these massive friggin 20 inch wheels which are awesome And it's one of the things that makes the car look like a little hatch it's because everything's sort of proportionally like this with an ionic 5 you look at it over there you think, ah, oh, yeah, it's about the same size as an I-30 because it's the same vague proportions as an I-30. And then when you walk up to it, you go, Jesus, that's big. And the wheels are kind of in proportion. So it, it rolls on these massive wheels. They're 20 inches. And if it's going to be two years in between servicing drinks, just get down in the dirt, dude, every now and again and just have a look at the wear across the tread face and maintain the tire pressures and, you know, you might even want to pop the hood and just have a look at the cooling system. I'm sure there's a reservoir in there that'll show you, you know, high and low, the tide marks. Just make sure that the cooling system's in there and things of that nature because as as much as they they claim, the evangelists, that EVs are maintenance free, if you own one, you really do owe it to yourself to just do those basic checks. And hey, if you've got a friggin' combustion car, you should do that as well, dude. Just saying, at the risk of sounding like your friggin' father. Now, the prices, once again, he said, stabbing himself with his glasses like a true broadcast professional. <laughs> The prices once again, right, 72 grand for the base model Chitois, which is the long range version, 79.5 for the Technic, 85 grand for the Epic. If you want the full details, dude, there is a download link in the description just over there yonder in the description of this video on the YouTube watch page. And uh, you'll get a PDF, it's I don't know 10 pages or something. And uh, the options there's matte paint if you want something that's almost impossible to take care of, then thousand bucks for that. And uh, the lifetime service plan pricing as well it's like 570 bucks for the 30,000k service, 1090 bucks for the 60k service, and $570 Five hundred and seventy bucks again for the ninety k service. That's for the two motor one or the one motor one. Doesn't make any difference. It's not too expensive because you've got to divide by two if you want to do the rough equivalents to uh, every other car kind of servicing. Because you know every combustion car needs servicing every twelve months. That's what's that uh, two fifty and two, $2, $2 eighty five for the per year for the first one and about 500 bucks per year for the second service and back to 285 for the third one. So that's not gonna break the bank. And if you've, like, let's face it, dude, if you've got 80 grand to spend on an EV, you can afford to get it serviced on time. And don't let it run over because your warranty is sort of hinging on your diligence there, dude. Anyway, that is the guts of that news release. Now, do not forget, tomorrow at lunchtime, there is going to be that announcement by Madden's lawyers about this defeat device class action for Toyota as well. They they claim they're launching a, a defeat device class action. The press conference will be at midday in Melbourne tomorrow, so you can expect some reflection of that, like a, a light version of that that doesn't get Toyota offside in the mainstream media because of the advertising revenue. But that should be announced pretty widely. And if you don't mind, if you want to hang around for a little bit, we can get to your comments now. and. Uh, we can just, you can steer the conversation wherever you want to go on the chessboard, dude, because I'm sick of just deciding. It's too cognitively demanding. Andrew Hoffman says, how many charging stations are there on the way to Dingo Piss Creek? Well, not enough, Hoffo, not enough. That's the point. We don't want EVs at Dingo Piss Creek. Can you imagine? There'd be a lynching. It's a violation of the, the visitation contract, I'm sure, and that's why there are no charges there. Now for all you people who are gonna say, well let's put your solar array on the roof or whatever or just start a gen set and charge up that way, dude, you've got to go back to you've got to go back in time to school and pay more attention in fundamental physics because who has time for either of those solutions? They're completely unworkable. Right, um writing with Pat says uh, no, I don't think we'll do that one. Rod's pinball videos, or oh, Ryobi, I'm loving my 36-volt coal-powered mower. Well, you know what? At the risk of butting in on this battery-powered mower conversation, I bought one of those 36-volt Ryobi mowers about two years ago, and it's it works just fine. Like cut the grass just fine. And then I got all these stairs that I gotta get up and down with the mower. And, and it's much easier cause much lighter, okay? And it works with all those other power tools as well, like blowers and hedge trimmers and all that stuff. So you can cordlessly turn plants into mulch. Like it's great, but the mower's been shit. It's been shit. It falls apart. Like you look at it the wrong way and the second law of thermodynamics reaches in with a knife and cuts another aspect of the mower's balls off. I hate that. I don't think that's a violation of the YouTube community guidelines because that's exactly what happens. It's badly built. Like it cuts the grass just fine, but all of that falling apart, like, and you keep losing bits of metal in the freaking grass. Like the... I'm talking about like the pins that move the handles into place and let, you know those locking pin you pull them out, handle folds, but it's a great idea, but just the execution is shit. It's shit. Ryobi, your 36 volt mower is shit. It's shit. What do I really think? It's shit. Steve Curley now. Curlo. After seeing these EVs in Florida catching fire after the hurricane and saltwater damage, how safe is it to use an EV to launch a boat? That's a very good question. You know, you think about driving an EV at 110 k's an hour, which is, you know, like 75 miles an hour. Miracle. And you go through a, a bit of road that's not like, it's not a foot deep with water. It's just got like half an inch of water on it, like a bit of pooled water, like a long pool, and you think what the tyres are doing in that. It's a real impact. You feel it, right? Especially if it's on one side. Think about the velocity of the water jet sprayed up under the car by the inboard part of the tread face of the tyres, because the tread is a water ejection pumping mechanism. That's all it does, right? That water is really high velocity, okay? And therefore, it's got a lot of energy, and it's hitting everything Down there, harder than you'd like, you know, with all those intimate components. Like, and yet, this does not damage vehicles. And the batteries are kind of hermetically sealed, right? They have to be because they've got coolant flowing in them, and you don't want moisture building up in your battery. That would be bad, okay? So, It should be fine if there's a vehicle that is designed to launch a boat like an F-150 Lightning or some sort of SUV four-wheel drive all-terrain capable thing. That should be no problem, dude. It, It should be able to cope with that. But if you go over a rock and there's mechanical damage and you get a crack in the battery or something pierces a cell. That's dogs and cats living together because it really is a pathway to catastrophic thermal runaway. And obviously when the electrolyte starts to decompose like that, it gets hotter because it's exothermic and it manufactures its own oxygen because there's a lot of ions in the electrolyte like PO4s, like phosphate ions and things of that nature. When they decompose chemically by virtue of being damaged and shorted and things of that nature. It's everything you need for the worst day of hell on earth with your EV. So they'll have to do something about that if designs are to be robust in that context. Absolutely. Now, um, Goringel says for all the cobalt cements, much of the world's cobalt is used in liquid fuel refining to remove the sulfur. Yeah. Now, I get this all the time, okay? Cobalt, you talk about cobalt in batteries and cobalt in refining. The thing about cobalt in refining is it's not consumed. Dude, it's a catalyst, okay? And it is recovered. So it's not a consu- it's it's not a consumable, basically. That is a completely spurious argument that cobalt in batteries versus cobalt in fuel. There's no cobalt in fuel. It is not consumed. It is a frigging catalyst. And a catalyst is a thing that gets paid to loiter with intent while other chemicals hook up. Okay? So it's like just having a look and it's in contact, but it's not doing anything. Right? It's always just there in the refinery. And when you're done with that vat full of reactive whatever with cobalt in it. If you want to decom- decommission it, you just pull the cobalt out and go again, because that's how this works, okay? I get that all the time. There are so many spurious arguments when it comes to discussions about heavy metals and the Erin Brokovich sort of nature of those things. And the cobalt argument, the false equivalence between batteries and hydrocarbons is completely just, it's a convenient argument that EV evangelists love, but is completely at odds with the facts. So I hope you enjoyed that, goringal I was uh, garingai, garingai, I'm sorry. I hope you enjoyed that answer. I certainly did. And I'm sorry you won't be joining us for any other live streams. That's unfortunate because I enjoyed it. Matt H goes, uh, hi, John. What sort of aftermarket industry do you think is going to develop with the greater uptake of EVs? Do you think we will ever see local battery repair upgrade services develop? Yeah, repair services. And there's going to be failure modes, right? There's already businesses springing up in the United States to do with EVs have problem some EVs that have been in service for a while, like uh, Nissan Generation 1 Leafs. I think if memory serves, they had a problem where one of the bearings or some component can carry too much current and it chews itself out. And of course, Nissan bastards that they are will only sell you the full motor, which costs you know, roughly the national debt of Namibia. and. Few people can afford that, and it's not an economically rational repair, but the actual component that fails is only like a couple of bucks. So there's going to be repair industries that spring up around phenomena like that because car, car companies don't care about failure modes at 100,000 Ks and things of that nature. They just They just want to sell you a big expensive piece of shit that was warehoused, right? Even if the bit that failed was only this. If this is the bit that failed, they want to sell you this, right? They'll just, yeah, we got one of these. We only sell them as a job lot. You've got a failed whatever. We'll sell you the whole thing. That's like 10 grand, dude. Whereas some enterprising dude can can just go, you know what? For half a day's labor, we can... Pull that out and turn one of these up on a lathe and cut a thread in it and sell it to you for I don't know a couple hundred bucks. How do you feel about that? And I think that's going to be the the principal uh, repair sort of aftermarket industry that springs up around EVs because just like um, it's just like DPFs, right? DPFs, a standard DPF for your car. If your DPF shits itself, which is a symptom of a different problem, okay dealership will just replace it for you, right? It'll shit itself again. That gets expensive really fast because you haven't solved the problem, okay? But if you just want to fix the DPF by replacing it, you just get an aftermarket one, dude, because it's really just a box with a filter in it and a couple of pressure probes. There's nothing really complex about it. And the aftermarket ones are already several thousand dollars cheaper than the original ones. And as I see it, they don't function any different. So... It'll be that kind of aftermarket industry first and invariably there will be some sort of hot rod, you know, performance enhancement uh, version. But you can, you can bet that might be spectacular until a better assessment is made of where it's safe to draw the line because batteries already operate pretty close to the line, you know. There's not too much fat in there waiting to be exploited. And it just takes the wrong confluence of circumstances, like the wrong day, too hot, and the wrong rate of discharge, and then the wrong something else, and you get beyond a certain point and catastrophic thermal runaway, you know. they got to pick your EV up and put it in a swimming pool because that's the only thing you can do when that sort of thing happens. So there's that. Uh, Doug Stubbs. Duggo! Stubsy, Still waiting for the Azito 18-volt electric car available exclusively at Bunnings. Comes with a drive-away warranty. Yeah, well, here's the thing, right, about power tools. Power tools are just as friggin' snobby as cars, right? Like there's... So many people who will, they are dead keen to be seen getting out of a Mercedes-Benz, the old three-prong, right? And exactly the same thing with power tools. Like, I've got a bunch of uh, Ryobis just up there, and i got a bunch of Milwaukees next to them. And in general, the Milwaukees are better, right? They're, they're better. They'd be better if you're a tradie. They'd be better if you're leaning on those bloody things every day, right? But... If you're just doing a bit of stuff around home, like home maintenance, there's really no difference. And the Milwaukee ones, and I've got a couple of other battery-powered tools. I've got a couple of Bosch ones up there. I've got these. Uh, I'll talk about them later. I'm going to do a review on the other ones. But power to... Azito could build a car, I guess. But we need a car that's the philosophical equivalent of an Azito power drill, right? We need a fairly nasty bit of a shitter with a warranty that's widely available that only goes like a hundred Ks and you can charge it, you can charge it off a 10 amp power point, you know, in a few hours because it only goes a hundred Ks. It's got a battery about this big and we're only going to take it to the shops. It's just a shitty little run around. So your other car can be a dual cab ute or I don't know, a Palisade, these big fat diesel Palisade or Santa Fe or something. And you can basically have the best of both worlds. Then can you not? At least you can, in my view. But the car industry and Hyundai's doing it. Like, what sort of EV are they? You know, gushing about dropping next week. Couple of hundred eighty thousand dollar EVs. Right. So two hundred eighty thousand dollar EVs. Ten eighty thousand dollar EVs is eight hundred thousand. hundred eighty thousand dollar EVs is. Eight million bucks. Two hundred is sixteen million dollars. So you can sell two hundred vehicles and get sixteen million dollars back ish in revenue, which must be rather nice, I'm sure. But what society really needs is an affordable EV for about twenty five to thirty grand. That's just a nasty little shitter. It's the Kia Picanto of EVs, right? It's everything a Picanto is. You wouldn't want to drive it to Canberra, but it's got a tiny battery and you can afford it. That is the EV that society needs, right? These big fat EVs, they're lovely to drive, they're just, they're fun, they're exhilarating, they're loaded with shit. They've got everything except mainstream accessibility. And if you wanna solve the climate problem and you wanna get less air pollution in our cities, you wanna get energy security for the nation, you can't just serve up EVs to rich bastards who've already got everything else. You've got to make EVs mainstream. And this is not that, is it, dude? So yeah, maybe a Zito can come to the rescue with, they should call it the shitter. I'd buy one just for the badge. Now, um, uh, who have we got here? Andrew Hoffman's back. He goes, what happens insurance-wise if your EV develops thermal runaway in your garage at 2 a.m. in the morning? 2 a.m. can only be in the morning, dude. Come on. What happens is you make a claim if you live. It's the same as if your combustion car burns to the ground or if some dodgy wiring you did in your fat cave burns your house to the ground. It is usually pretty easy to identify where the origin of a fire was. Just saying. If it starts at the EV, it'll be pretty obvious, because the rest of the house would go out while the EV is still burning, so there's that. Um, it'll be obvious what caused the problem, okay? And um, I guess your insurance will just pick up the pieces, and that'll be hugely inconvenient for you, and uh, even less convenient for your relatives if you don't make it. now. Gary MGHS Excite says, can you do a BS-free good old honest review on the MGHS, please? Uh, Yeah, probably, but I hate doing road tests because everyone's doing road tests and in Australia, they all do them terribly. They're bad. It's like top gear bad. It's, It's as if the objective is, let's do top gear but let's do it bad. Let's do it clunky. Let's make it not funny. Let's just read the spec sheet and let's just gibber through without understanding the medium. And there's so much competition for reviews and with the pandemic and the shortage of cars, there's so little availability of cars and I have alienated the shit out of so many brands that they would be reluctant to lend me a car, but I don't care because what I'm really about is about being worthwhile to the buyer of new cars. And when dipshits in PR, this is not every PR in every car company, but most PRs, when dipshits in PR figure out that cutting through to the people who buy actual cars, and I get like 2,000 new car purchase inquiries every month, when they figure out that that's worthwhile, then yeah, I might review a few more cars. But at the moment, there's so much consumer misinformation out there and so many things that are not said by reviewers because advertising revenue that i got a little niche here that is extremely worthwhile to car buyers and I'm going to keep exploiting that, if you don't mind. And, uh, you know, you can let me know what you think about that in the comments, but, you know, just to be another reviewer, a bit boring. Aussie Crypto says, me too, mate whatever that means, but they have come a long way. Look it up, pretty amazing, quiet advancements of late. I don't know what you're talking about, dude, but yeah, okay, I suppose they have. Recording Studio 9 says, so many small EVs now available in Europe for under 20 grand. Yeah, but the under 20 grand thing is a consequence in most cases of being government subsidised. And I'm not sure we need to point too much of our taxpayer revenue at the procurement of EVs because all it's going to do is backhand car companies with taxpayer funds, right? We don't need to help people buy EVs. The main impediment to the adoption of EVs in Australia is the ability to supply them here. We need to solve that first before we talk about too many other processes. Now, who are we going to do next, so to speak? Chris Wilson says, question. Is there a car platform out there like the Nissan Twig that you could pick up cheap, mod the buggery out of, and turn into your idea for a 100-kilometre range Chitois? Yeah, look, I think there is probably a Chitois that you could build in the aftermarket industry. You could get a Gets, like you could get a Hyundai Gets. That'd be the most available. Chitois out there, and you could probably mod it up and put a battery drivetrain in it, you know, electric powertrain. I'm not sure what the regulations say about that though, and there may be so many regulatory hoops that you have to jump through to do that kind of modification that it may not be worth it. So, you get the car for nearly nothing though, like the donor car would be virtually free, and then virtually free unless it took on and then they become worth something. But anyway. It's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because one of the things the car industry is really bad at is upgrading existing cars because they're not in the business of motivating you to retain the car you've got. The car industry is all about, look at our brand new shitbox. Isn't it fantastic? Do you still drive that old thing like it's two years old? Have you still got that piece of crap? Look at our brand new shitbox. That's car companies, right? And if they got in the business of upgrading that piece of crap from, I don't know, five years ago and put current features in it, like wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and things of that nature, that'd be one less reason for you to upgrade to new shiny toy, right? And they would flat out hate that. They'd hate it. Anywho. JM said, I noticed Mazda's throwing away brake rotors with zero lip on them. I've been looking in the scrap metal bin and they all the same. Okay, dude. Interesting recreation you've got there. Um, Valgirl00711 says Howard. Valgirl00711 Howard john do you the camaro will be popular now they will be racing the mustang next year well val girl that's almost english well done i don't know i think supercars is like is dead supercars is a cockroach with its head off and nobody told the cockroach yet luke s said australia should have always been left hand drive maybe john yeah but left hand drive like you think about it dude the big advantage of right hand drive is you can draw your glock and shoot it out the driver's window whereas if we went to left hand drive can you imagine doing a drive by you'd be across the wheel like that it'd be dogs and cats how would you be firing forward riddle me that batman i'd be fine i'm a lefty be just natural the bat pumpy out the window. If we did that, you know, if we, if we had the facility for that, that kind of thing, just occasionally, you know, do you think the, the level of ambient civility, like the generosity and politeness, that driving would get more dignified, wouldn't it, if everybody just had the bat pumpy? Maybe one shot. Maybe you could have one shot every quarter. <laughs> Everyone would be... Two hands on the wheel, great lane discipline, always indicating never cutting anyone off. Be a small price to pay, I'd suggest. That's just satire, YouTube censors. I'm not advocating we actually do that. Anywho, yeah, provided I'm on air tomorrow, we'll do this again. Yeah, Daniel Daniel Stapler says, in Japan, samurai walked on the left, so that when they passed each other in the street, their swords wouldn't touch and from that, ended up driving on the left-hand side of the road. Yeah, look, there's a, there's a few things like that, isn't there? I mean, driving on the left-hand side of the road, also, if you're riding a horse that way, it makes it easier to draw your sword and slash, doesn't it? You're on the enemy side. Once again, you know, if you're, if you're riding on the right-hand side of the road and the enemy's over there, it's like, it's hard to get a razor blade over there. But if the enemy's on that side, you're right-handed piece of piss dude but you know why people shake hands right-handed because most people are right-handed and if you go to shake hands then you haven't got a weapon have you in that hand and your left hand's likely to be fucking useless at that anyway so you know probably just flesh wound okay that's the derivation of shaking hands incidentally but if you're a lefty That's why they thought lefties were sinister, you know. It's the derivation of sinister. Look it up. Operation Four Wheels says, can you discuss the marketing of secondary fuel filters for four-wheel drive? Seems to be a load of BS, considering modern four-wheel drives all have water separators. Yeah, look, uh, my view on this is that if you sell a diesel four-wheel drive, it needs to be made to endure the operating conditions that can be expected and some level of contamination in the fuel can be expected in service out there in outer Schittsville on the road to Dingo Piss Creek. And this is why we have servicing intervals, and this is why we have filters. Filters have the capacity to absorb some contamination. And I guess if you're going to do extreme four-wheel driving and extreme remote travel, then you need to say to yourself, well, that's a significant uh significantly sort of rigorous harsh operating set of conditions and you might want to increase the servicing frequency alternatively you could put upgraded filtration in there's two points about that upgraded filtration might work just fine but if you have a warranty claim that is likely to be a big red flag for your warranty claim because you modified the fuel system okay and they, then you're in an argument between the modifier and the car maker, and they're going, well, it's not my filter, and they're going, well, it's not our car. You modified it, and you're in the middle going, blah, 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 like that, and that's a problem, okay? Whereas, if you go down the track of saying, well, I'll just get my car serviced after every big trip, or every three months, or... Every six months, or I'll go to the dealer and say, dude, just check the fuel filters and if they need changing, will you please change them? kind of thing. That's probably a better way to approach the issue of contaminated fuel. But for a car maker to say just off the bat that, oh no, that fuel's contaminated, that's your problem, the vehicle has to be designed to operate reliably in the market that it operates in. And nobody ever said that there was a guarantee of zero contamination with fuel. So there's that. Now we'll just do a little bit more, if you like. Uh, Chris Wilson says another question. What opportunities would there be for developing aftermarket electronics for EVs? What features are lacking in current EVs that could be addressed aftermarket? What features are lacking? Range range is a feature, I guess, faster charging, better thermal management of the battery. It's a little bit like the deficiencies in particular SUVs, right? Some SUVs are renowned for going poopy in their trousers because when you tow something heavy, like your three and a half ton Chitois to Dingo Piss Creek, the uh, transmission cooler is inadequate, right? And if you talk to an aftermarket transmission specialist who knows their shit, they'll say, oh yeah, that car's renowned for that and here's a fix. And I think EVs, when they get more mainstream and there's more data about how they perform in service, I think that kind of modification is just going to rise to the top. So that's where I see that kind of thing coming. And obviously someone wants to build a an EV drag car, and somebody's going to be the going to want to be the first person to get to Cape York via EV, and first person to tow a caravan to Dingo, Fist Creek, sort of thing. And there'll be people who modify vehicles in that respect as well. Brad Griffin now says, "I wonder if an endurance race like the original production car series, but with range and reliability being the winning factor." uh get car makers to improve their product yeah but we're all running that experiment now aren't we now, are we not all in that mad experiment and there's endless online pages about my holden captiva was crap and things of that nature so i think we're all lab rats in a big experiment of exactly that nature uh, now Oz crypto crypto says john re subscription optional add-ons Motorcycles are already subject to that garbage. The Zero, an electric motorcycle, has all kinds of extras like range and power and heated grips. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about subscriptions for cars is if the hardware's already there, is it not just a naked ripoff to get you to subscribe to unlock that feature? Whereas if they write some new code like a new app, so that you can do something different just with the software, then maybe you would pay more for that. It just I just don't see how it's a decent, moral, ethical model to have the heated grips already on the motorcycle, already installed at the factory, and to have you have to pay, I don't know, $9.95 a month just to warm your hands up with the heated grips that are already there, just to unlock it right? I don't see how that's reasonable at all. Now, Jacoby e. Dunn says, how about a completely comprehensive blue singlet approved start to finish guide on how to tackle the fabled dingo piss creek? You've done several bits over time, maybe a video subject. How to tackle dingo piss creek is really easy, dude. What you do is you get the world's best four-wheel drive, so probably a Land Cruiser 300, and you you go and you pimp the shit out of it at ARB, and you go and buy a big, fat, three-and-a-half-ton caravan, and what you do is you get it all sorted so that it all fits together just fine. You've got the dual battery set up, and the you've got it raised, and it's on big, knobbly tires, it's, and it's got more lights than, you know, New York City on New Year's Eve. And what you do is you just leave the caravan parked out the front of your neighbor's house and you take the four-wheel drive and you leave it at the long-term car park at the airport and you go to the south of France for four weeks. You're welcome. YouTube Lurker, YT Lurker, says, hi, John, as a follow-up to a recent video of yours, why exactly is it too late to decarbonize? with less resource-intensive hybrid fuel cell vehicles?" Well, we've got a climate problem. Deadlines are looming from the point of view of taking effective action. And we can do fuel cell vehicles, obviously, they exist, but rolling them out in the infrastructure is just gonna take a long time. And if you think about the looming deadline and what we've gotta do, we have gotta do something about coal, and natural gas vehicles are a sideshow. They're eight percent. You know, passenger vehicles, like, you know, cars and SUVs and Utes and vans and light vehicles. They're eight percent of our emissions, right? And they are similar percentages all around other developed markets. What we what we need to tackle as an absolutely urgent priority are things like our incredible dependency on coal, and we've got two dependencies on coal. We've got the dependency on coal just to keep the friggin' lights on, and we've got a dependency on coal as a major revenue earner for the nation. We need to tackle that. We need to tackle natural gas in the same way. We have the same twofold addiction to natural gas because we sell a shit ton of it. And without tackling that, there's no point doing EVs because it's only gonna solve 8% of the problem And that's not enough, right? And there are some real problems to rapidly implementing EVs, like the grid, okay? And the availability of the minerals to build all of the batteries. That's a huge problem, not to mention the current supply chain shit fight. If we don't tackle the big problems, it's all going to fall over for subsequent generations. There's plenty of scientific evidence for that. I know I'll cop a lot of flack in the comments about that, but hey, I'm a science advocate and the science is in. It's a problem. Fuel cell technology has the potential to be a big win, particularly if we produce the hydrogen by using sunlight to electrolyse water, okay? But to get that rolled out at scale, that's gonna take too long and we need to do interim measures as a priority so that we solve this problem and we don't make the planet uninhabitable. That's just how this works, dude. So, um, ah, yes, Cow Sweatman. What possibly motivated you to choose that fake name, Cow Sweatman? Cow Sweatman says to carbonize, to carbonize. We need to do what no one wants to do. I think you mean decarbonize, downsize the economy, energy use and population because real problem is overshoot not going to happen i agree with you the problem is that it's fun to burn and we've got so many people discovering that it's fun to burn see in 2007 i was at this michelin event in shanghai and the chinese minister for science and technology was there and we go for the translator press conference and he said back then this is like 15 years ago he said well in the west you own Eight to, eight to nine cars per 10 people, you know, 800 to 900 cars per thousand head of population. He said, we're rapidly ramping up for that. And when we get there in China, that will double the number of cars on earth. And it's better to have a car than not. Like everyone who's got a car enjoys having a car because even if it's only 3Ks to the shops, that's like a 6K round trip and in summer you've got to run back so the ice cream doesn't melt and the chicken doesn't go off, right? It's much more fun to have a car, so it's much more fun to burn, it's much more fun to have three TVs and all the lights on and air conditioning in the, uh, at the height of summer and all of that stuff, right? And when you've got all these people discovering how much fun it is to burn, that's a real problem. So the, the, the problem is steeped in the population and also the fact that having access to energy that's really so cheap it's almost free, which is what electricity and liquid fuels are, that's a real problem because then we just burn them prolifically and the consequences build up and build up and build up and you get to a tipping point and all of a sudden hell on earth for every foreseeable generation. So that's kind of a bit of a bastard. Now we'll just do one more, try and find a good one. Who can we choose? I just want to make sure that Luke is not saying something unpalatable. Yeah. Concerned with population size, question mark. Stop voting for politicians that deliver high rates of migration. Say no to liberal labor and the greens. Yeah, but In practice, the population size, Australia doesn't exist in isolation. What's the problem here is the population of Earth and the fact that when you go from being a third world country to a first world country, you burn a shit ton more. It's the global population, but I agree that our politicians are manifestly out of touch. And really, they're in the business of appeasement. They just want to appease people for the electoral term and get voted back. That's their objective. I think that is a fundamental problem because we need to have a bit of a sit down and say, you know what, if transport emissions are a problem, then we need to make transport more efficient. And the lay down Mazaire way to make transport more efficient is to let as many people work from home as they possibly can. We ran that experiment, the data's in, it works. It lowers transport emissions, it lowers pollution, it's better for human health. It's also better for mental health in many cases because people like fucking each over at the office, it's harder to do that remotely. And it's also, well the other key thing we've got to do is we've got to have, for the people who do need to commute, we need better mass transit. We really need better mass transit. We need free public transport that's not shit. And what we've got in Sydney, Australia more broadly, is we've got expensive public transport that is shit. And we need to turn that on its head, because if you can put, I don't know how many people you get in eight carriages of train, but it's gotta be 1,500, something like that, at peak times. If you can get 1,500 cars off the road by putting them in a train, and they all get to the city in air-conditioned comfort in an efficient way that's not shit, and it costs bugger all, and you don't have to pay for parking, that's much better than just changing from internal combustion to EVs. It's a much more efficient solution, and whatever time you're sitting on the train, it's not a stressful, hateful experience in fucking gridlock, is it? It's potentially a pleasant experience consuming some awesome post watched live streams on YouTube, which I'd sincerely like to thank you for joining me in now. I've been going for about an hour and 12 minutes now. My voice is packing it in. I don't know if you can hear that, but it is. So I'm going to leave you there and I'll catch you hopefully again this week with another live stream. I'm trying to leave the live streams for news as it breaks. If you joined late, this live stream was mainly about the 2023 Ionic 5 announcement. If you'd like to download the full PDF press kit, there is a download link in the description and that doesn't cost you anything. You can, uh, you can peruse the data, you know, all the specs are there, all the features are there as well. So, you know, knock yourself out if you really want one of these vehicles. The drop is the 26th, there'll be more than 200 of these vehicles, but in this next drop of Ionic 5s there will not be any of the range topping EPICS, EPIQs, okay. There'll be the two-wheel drive Long Ranger and the mid-spec. Uh, all-wheel drive models. So you still get to dump your 80 grand if you really want to, but you won't get the absolute top spec. So there's that. Anyway, thank you for joining me. I appreciate you spending the time and I will catch you absolutely on the next one. It's coming up for just shy of quarter past